Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Our last episode was with an elder on the left who has spent decades as an activist and organizer. This week's episode is with the future of the left, who at age 19 is leading the effort to unionize Starbucks workers throughout the state of California. Joe is a rebel with a very clear cause. Whether they're organizing union drives at Starbucks or for their assembly district run, I think all who listen to this will come to the same conclusion I did. The kids, they're all right. Today, we are sitting down in the lovely and sunny Santa Cruz, and today we get to speak to Joe Thompson. They are a leading organizer in the fight to unionize Starbucks workers in the state of California. They are also, surprise, surprise, running for office for, what did you see, 80... Yeah, 80-28. And I'm I'm really excited to sit down and talk to them uh, because uh, Joe, along with other people across the country that have probably bigger profiles like Christian Smalls, I think are doing the, some of the most important work on the left right now. And that is uh, heightening the consciousness of workers uh, such that it is, um, it is uh, bringing us back to a moment of uh, uh, like a a radical labor movement potentially. Uh, So I'm really, really excited to talk to them. I'm going to talk, I'm going to work really hard to do the pronouns correctly I'm going to work really hard. I might slip up, but I'm no, going to work really I was hard. On the, I was on the David, David <laughs> Feldman show, and the first, he like knew my pronouns and everything. First thing he said, he was like, oh, yeah, and he's a great, you know, organizer of Starbucks. And he, he could not stop fucking Just laughing. straight off the top. <laughs> yeah, like first 10 seconds. And he goes, I can't believe I fucked it up in the first 10 seconds. And I was like, this is great. Oh, no. I'm, I'm going to work really hard at it. But I, thank you so much for um, for working with me through our scheduling snafus. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, I Shout out to Sonali, first of all, because Sonali wrote a piece on you that I was like, oh, let me see if I can get in touch with them because I would really love to hear their story. Um, So let's get into it. I believe from what I remember from Sonali's story and pardon the noise, we're, you know, in the middle of the fucking street, raw, coming at you (laughs) real and raw. Um, uh, Sonali said that you you are a Bay Area native um, and you grew up in a working class Latino family. Please tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I I grew up in Lincoln, California. That's where I'm like from a little bit northern California. Moved here recently. Um, You know, we grew up in a very working class family. Um, and you know, my mom and my dad were supporting at the time, you know, four of their kids Mm. and I'm the youngest of all of them. You're one of four, the baby Mm. of four. Yep. Mm. Baby of four. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And, you know, I grew up during the time I was a five years old when we had the first, you know, big recession in 2008. mm -hmm. Oh my God, you're a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then we lost our house. We had to move. Really? 
Mm-hmm. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because I, I want to understand your experience of that as a five-year-old. But when you say, you said that you grew up in a working-class family, explain what you mean by that. To me, you know, working-class families, it, it, you know, a lot of people have that thing where it's like, you know, a lot of us think we're middle class. Mm-hmm. Reality, almost every single person in the United States is working class. Mm-hmm. We all deal with those struggles, you know, dealing with food insecurity, housing insecurity, and, you know, the the issues that affect people on their day in, day in, and, you know, day in and day out. Mm-hmm. If you're middle class, you're making over, you know, I usually say $200,000 over Depending that. on where you live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people are working class and mm-hmm. they, they think they're middle class or they think you know they're they're higher or upper whatever they want to say mm-hmm. reality most of the people you see you know every single day they're they're working class and like working class to you means it, it just means you know we're we're in the struggle together and we're the ones who are, who are facing the oppression of the upper class mm-hmm. i think that that that's kind of what it comes down to me working class just represents the struggle of going through life and not knowing if you're gonna have mm. food on the table or you know money to pay gas bills all that kind of stuff i see i see so did you were you pre i mean you were you were like you just said you were a tiny tot uh before when 2008 happened but do mm-hmm. you do you kind of do you have any memories of is from zero to five and what that meant growing up for you in lincoln california i mean to me it was just you know my childhood was you know always we're always on edge you know always you know describe not- describe what that means Means, or describe that experience. Rather. Yeah, like we, like I was, you know, I grew up in, in, you know, elementary school. I, you know, we were on free lunch, mm-hmm. and we're always, you know, worried about our next meal. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would always see in like my family, you know, in arguments about money. Mm-hmm. It was always something that was the center of our focus and you financial stresses. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there was like that was one of the main reasons why my mom and my dad eventually divorced yeah. is because of financial strain. And, you know, it's true for a lot of families, especially working families, like that strain is definitely there. And if you don't address it, it's going to, it's going to cause lots of problems. Uh, I think you alluded to it, that you were food insecure uh, growing up. Like how, what, what were your thoughts about that? Did you, did you connect it to anything or you just, you just like, this is, this is my world. This is, this is what I know. And maybe there are a lot of other people that are experiencing the same thing or I am very different in in this experience. I noticed a lot of people around me were, you know, kind of in the same situation. Ah. You know, it was, it was very community I grew up in was not a wealthy community. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, I, my family was, was decently well off for a little bit, but after the 2008 crisis, things went downhill from there. What describe the before and after? So before 2008, my dad was a, he was a pretty decent realtor. Um, and then because of the housing bubble, all of that essentially was gone. And, um, you know, we actually, you know, almost were middle class before 2008. Um, and my, my dad had just got a new house. We were living in a pretty, pretty decent neighborhood. Um, and then the 2008 crisis happened. And then also my older brother got into a pretty, pretty serious bad car accident. Oh, wow. Both of those put a lot of financial strain on my family we had a you know we lost our house we had to move and because my brother was actually in a wheelchair we only got you know a, a very small single single family home mm-hmm. just because of, of 
all of the financial trouble I see. that had to be kind of caused because of that. So you're saying it was a double whammy of the the recession hitting, you know, real estate very hard. So that brought your father's uh, ability to earn an income way mm-hmm. down drastically. And also your oldest, oldest or oldest, yeah. oldest brother got in a bad car accident. Um, and so the, the health care uh, implications yep. of that also added further strain. Exactly. And I think, if, you know, if we had things like Medicare for all and, you know, a, a thing where at least at least medical debt, you know, would be forgiven. We wouldn't have, you know, been as bad off as we were. Mm-hmm. But because the United States does not have that kind of system that allows those like social safety nets. You know, we, my family is very close, you know, to being homeless multiple times wow. during that time. Oh, after 2008. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you guys all moved into a one bedroom apartment? Yeah. Whoa. And all four of the kids were still living at home? Uh, yeah, we were all, it was a very small family home in, in Roseville, actually. Um, and, and it was me, my oldest brother, and two other sisters mm-hmm. all living there. So all six of us in a pretty small home. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. What did your dad do after the... He was still a realtor the entire time. Uh-huh. It was just a lot harder, obviously, sure. with everything. Sure. And my mom, she would help him with that. Also, just some side jobs. And she was also a mother. Sure. So it was it was really hard. And she still did... Um, Still does it to this day, but she has her own like clients for cleaning services. Ah. So she'll go like clean their homes, take care of them, that kind of stuff too. I see. Did did uh, two thousand eight? Did that affect you as a student, like with regard to your schooling? Do you know? Um, I mean, it, I definitely spent a lot more time at school because ah. of you know just the overall financial instability of my family life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't notice anything in regards to like my schoolwork or anything like that. You know, like luckily I had somewhere to go where I could, you know, feel safe and have a meal and and whatnot. Okay. What? How? What type of student were you growing up? Um. I mean, it. it in in elementary school, I was kind of. It depended. Like you know, when I was first got you know there and whatnot, I was mostly kind of a quiet kid. I was actually really terrible. What do you um, mean? Like I, I like, I was very behind like in reading. Why? It, I don't know why, but I was actually like, they had to drag me into this classroom mm. and talk to me about it. Because uh, I, I would not do, I still to this day am really bad at reading my assignments mm. for college. Uh, I see. Um, but I, I I was kind of behind. I mean, I was I was very good at math mm. and like that kind of stuff. But reading, not my thing. Mm-hmm. And they were a little bit concerned about it. Mm. I remember, um, and I was brought in this classroom. I was a very quiet kid too. So they were like, oh, like, you know, the, the, you know, they, I, that kid can't read all this stuff and i just like kind of like you know like made it to a point where it wasn't too bad but i was definitely a little bit behind there at the very beginning uh, okay so they so math you were you were gucci but mm-hmm. reading it took a little bit to to uh get you i guess maybe on the current reading level or yeah. to a proficient level okay all right did you enjoy school um it was definitely a challenge especially like early in addition to the reading Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, like, my school educational experience could have been a lot better. Why? I just, there's a lot of, a lot of struggles, especially, like, in regards to family stuff, but also, like, where I was living at. And luckily, I had really good teachers the entire time. They're all very supportive and amazing. Um, but, like, it's also one thing that's super underfunded. And I could I could see, and even with the teachers, like, they're they're struggling. And they kind of were dealing with the same things that my family was dealing oh, with. Oh, wow. It was one of those things where it's, like, As a community, we, yeah. were, we are all feeling this. I see, I see, I see. Okay. What was it like being the baby of four? It was, de- <laughs> it was definitely the- where all my other siblings thought I was 
getting special treatment. They oh, still do. Because you were. <laughs> You're the baby. You're spoiled. Get yeah, exactly. I was I was getting spoiled, and um, I became. You know, I that, that's when like I guess like middle school. That's when I started getting more involved in politics, and I started I would like ran for class president and got and started my own like leadership activities. Why? Why? That kind of what, stuff. What, what was the spark in middle school? I think to me it was you know I was roughly it was like 2015, so it was kind of when Bernie's coming up, mm. getting more involved in in that, and and having someone who was an outsider, someone who who spoke to to young people specifically mm-hmm. wanting them to get involved and start recognizing that you know the things around us are, are bad and i kind of already kind of been seeing that yeah you know with the, the lifestyle that i grew up in mm-hmm. so but uh, was it uh, what was the uh what what cracked the door to to you know bringing his message for you because i you know middle school maybe you were the, one of the kids who like you know sits down and watches c-span in in there i was definitely one of those kids yeah okay <laughs> yeah. all right so, so you just you discovered him on his own or were there conversations at home that it were was, politically driven it, my like, parents actually were not political at all growing up ever ever they never they i was actually i, the, I took them to their first political rally oh wow and when how old were you i was i was probably 15 16 wow so i was very young uh-huh. they had never they were my, my my dad said he was an independent. My mom said she was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. They you know they were never political before then. I was the only person in the entire family really who was really politically motivated. Still am to this day. Mm-hmm. I usually talk to them about these issues sure. and everything. I mean you know slowly educating them. Mm-hmm. But it, it's one of those things where in middle school I just I just I really started going down like a rabbit hole of of you know not only you know, political theory, but also just like what my political ideology was. Why was that important for you to start doing or what, why would, what would made it interesting? I mean, for me, it was, it was during eighth grade. I had, um, one of my history teachers Mm -hmm. was very, very important about civics and Ah. in government. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of started to realize that our government is very messed up Ah. and, you know, it needs honest people to really start changing that. Um, and I, I got involved in leadership activities and I, you know, I've always kind of seen myself as someone who, who can step up and say, you know, enough is enough. Like I was always, I was always the kid in the classrooms who would stand up, you know, for, for someone who's either getting bullied or going through a rough time, just because like, I know exactly what that feels like. Mm. Did you, was there, was there something in particular that your, your history your history slash civics teacher in middle school said or brought to light that like where there was a light bulb that went off there's or something that was being there's discussed. A, there's a few things. So, so she was pretty conservative ah. and we honestly, we still agreed on a, a lot of things about government and like how it's corrupt, like what? And how it's corrupt, how, you know, it needs, um, it needs to be looked at from a, you know, a, a different perspective and we need people who are honest you know, working class in there. Mm-hmm. Of course, we disagreed on policy things, but we all could, you know, honestly agree upon the fact that, you know, we need, we need the elected officials to be held accountable to people mm-hmm. and we need a true democracy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of the difference between old conservatives because she was an old six year old conservative, you know, like Reagan person, mm-hmm. whereas conservatives now are more against democracy. Mm-hmm. They're more against some freedoms. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like old conservatives at least you can agree upon some things with them. Sure. But this new form of like Trumpism or whatever you want to call it, it it's directly attacking the heart of democracy. Mm. And 
more focused on disinformation than it is on like truth seeking or getting down to what you know but both sides or what do you want to call it can agree upon mm-hmm. like anti-corruption or you know against the establishment so am I understanding that like around middle school, you didn't just accept or internalize like that, you know, uh, you know, a sense of, you know, my family is um, deserving of less or or, you know, my parents. I'm this. I'm not saying that you yeah. should have thought that, but like, you know, or my parents didn't work hard. So we should, you know, all be crammed in a one bedroom or, you know, like, you know, I think everyone Either if it's a barista or if you're, you know, a banker, you work hard yeah. and you deserve a good living. Like yeah. that's that's it. That's it. And yeah. that, that's why I kind of that's the. So you rebelled against an internalization that would have that would have um, naturalized you being like yeah. inferior yeah. or less deserving. Ah, okay. Exactly. I think I think my understanding of, of life and it still is like this is like we all deserve basic necessities. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you you get when you're born and that's what you should have mm-hmm. you should have you know free healthcare you should have free education you should have food food yeah, yeah. housing you yeah. should have all this stuff yeah. and i don't get how people can look at the crisis we have now mm-hmm. and and think that it's okay that we don't have these basic necessities and that we don't have a a safety net when bad shit goes down sure like the 2008 crisis ah uh, okay i see i see okay so so was your teacher that was conservative though you could still find common ground with her uh that that kind of uh, uh lit a spark for you that that got you involved and like mm-hmm. and you you briefly mentioned like you got involved with like leadership activities and da, da, da. like what was your uh what was what were you hoping to experience by getting involved in like student government and the different leadership uh, activities that you uh, joined? It was one of the things where I just kind of gravitated towards it. You know, like it was always something that I would think I'd be good at. You know, I, I like being involved and, and helping make, you know, decisions about things that can affect students. And like one of the things that, you know, when I was, this was back in middle school, even though I was like talking about and like running on is like, they're the teachers there were you know paying money out of pocket for school supplies mm. and one of the things that i said is like you know like why isn't the school doing this mm. like why isn't the school stepping up mm-hmm. and and helping these teachers out mm-hmm. and even a lot of the students agreed like yeah like why why is the teacher having to pay out of pocket for school supplies mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense right and and you know that's one of these things that people need to be involved in these process and decision making because ah. it's going to affect them overall. I see. What was the outcome of your that nascent platform of yours? So yeah, I actually I got second, got vice president, mm-hmm. um, and it was one of those things where I, I worked with all the other people who were running on because we all kind of run on the same issues. Mm. We all kind of came together and said, "This is something that we want to run on mm. and and really improve to fix our our school and our community." Ah, okay. Hmm. What what did your did your parents notice a change in you around middle school in terms of your um, your uh, bubbling political engagement and interest? Um, like were they confused about it or were they just like okay this is they just... kind of were they're like they're like they're like when did you become like like they were getting mad at me for being smart basically because <laughs> I, I was like I was like the smartass huh. telling them like you know like that's wrong and I. Um, I always like I this is why I did debate in high school, too. I was always the one to either ask questions or debate or argument with someone Mm. or something, because during middle school, that's what I kind of started doing is like, 
during the 2016 election, I would be fact-checking everyone and saying, oh, that's wrong. Like, here's why. Mm. And, you know, it's one of the things where I, like, honestly enjoyed it because I think, you know, people should be educated about the decisions we're making mm. and, and the issues that we, we face. Mm. So what was it what was it like taking your parents to their first uh, political rally at 15? You said 15? What was that like? Roughly, yeah. It was interesting. Um, and which political rally was it? It was actually a Trump rally. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, because we was coming to town and we're like, you know what, let's go see him. Okay. Like, you know, like why why why? Was it was it just because you wanted to see it for yourself? You wanted to experience it for yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we, we went to go see him mm-hmm. and we're like a little bit confused, you know, we're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh I forget it was yeah, it was it was Hillary at Trump in the time because I forget what time, but Bernie had dropped out already mm-hmm. and it was kind of already settled. And Hillary didn't come to our area in California ever. Never to Roseville. Like oh. kind of like the northern California area. Oh, okay. So we never got to see her, never got a chance to, to go to one of her rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were all just kind of like, okay, let, let's go here. Let's see what let's see what he has to say. And funny enough, my pup, my parents actually switched. They were you know independent Democrat mm-hmm. to vote for Trump. Oh wow! In twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. did you guys discuss that decision, or did you did you did you make an effort to understand that? We were we were I was you know I was talking to them about it, and at the time. Because I was a Bernie supporter, yeah, I was leaning more towards Trump after the Democratic Party ah. had kind of thrown him under the bus. Why? I was, I was I was pissed. I was angry. Yes, and I was like, "What the hell?" And and you know, that's one thing is I think a lot of people kind of thought I was like, "What is this?" Obviously, I was you know I was too way too young to vote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, in, in my mind, I was like, "Yeah, like that's kind of messed up." Is that that rebellion thing again? I think so. Oh, okay. I think it was like the thing of like I finally recognized that. You know, even the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they're not for working class. Mm-hmm. They're they're both for corporations. That's mm-hmm. what they care about. That's sure. that's their whole Shtick. whole thing. <laughs> and I finally realized that, you know, after listening at at the rally and I forget there's another um Ami Barra, I think he was running at the time. Mm-hmm. Um we went to one of his events and it's like, yeah, like I heard almost the exact same thing talked about at both rallies. Uh-huh. It was about public safety uh-huh. and, you know, cutting taxes, all this kind of stuff. It's like mm-hmm. both Democrats and Republicans, you know, like to divide themselves over social issues. Mm-hmm. But on a lot of economic issues, pretty much the almost exact same thing <laughs> over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like when I was growing up, like, how do I support that? Especially mm-hmm. when I'm more of, you know, like a Bernie supporter. Yeah. Like, you know, like who... So before, and then I, I came to the realization later on that you know it's it's more about minimizing harm. Mm. What do you mean when you say that? Like, in 2020, I was you know a Biden supporter, mm-hmm. not because I love Biden. Biden is one of the worst presidents yeah. we've seen in modern history. Yeah. Um, but he's better than Trump. Mm. And with regards to, I think you know he's he's better than Trump in the fact that he's not you know calling mexicans mm-hmm. rapists and okay. dehumanizing them and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and if he cancels student debt he needs to do it already yeah. but if he does that that'll be good mm-hmm. and i think that with at least with biden we can have some sense of normalcy with regards to the pandemic and really? i i think so i think when it comes to huh. when it comes to his response compared to trump like trump was definitely more like this is entirely fake and mm-hmm. you know spreading misinformation mm-hmm. and with biden it's a little bit better but i mean like there's still obviously like a lot of mm. crisis happening uh-huh. all over the country uh-huh. and there's a lot of people who are like 
think that the pandemic doesn't exist anymore. That's and then, partly because of the Biden administration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's one of those things where it's like Biden is slightly better than Trump mm-hmm. on a lot of issues, sure. but not a lot. It's it's yeah very minor. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like when it comes down to it, yeah, they're both basically part of the the system mm. to hold us down and oppress us. Yeah. And how and why should we vote for anyone? You know, when when it comes down to him. In addition to or in concert with your uh, disillusion at what happened with Bernie in 2015, 2016, um, like what what was the at that at that time? What was the mm-hmm. driving force with you kind of leaning toward Trump for a period? Or was it through the general or just kind of it leading up? To I think the it was kind of leading up to the general. Mm-hmm. And I was just like I was just so pissed and so angry. Uh-huh. That this and was I, just like a like a big yeah. It was kind of the things where it's you. like it's like it's like it's like yeah. Like at that point, I I hated the Democrats more uh, just because of what they did to Bernie. I got you. It's not like I like the Republicans. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. more of just like like fuck these guys. Yeah, it was yeah. more of like I feel I felt attacked. Yeah, uh, it was like I felt attacked by the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and you know I think if they had not done what they did to Bernie, mm-hmm. he would have won. Yeah. And yes. I, I do think that if we had Bernie in 2016 against Trump, mm-hmm. he would have won. Yeah. And if you would look at comparing, you know, where we are now compared to where we're at with, with Trump, Bernie would have done way more work for the working class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if things were true, I would love to have seen, you know, not only him win, mm-hmm. but if we had control of the House and the Senate. Sure. We'd have the PRO Act. Yeah. We would have Medicare for all, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. We would have so many of these things. And even if, you know, we didn't have the House and the Senate, Bernie would at least take a lot of presidential action into his own hands. Yeah. Signing and, the executive orders that Joseph is just sitting on his hands about. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Canceling student debt. Mm-hmm. Can- student debt would have already been canceled. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would have, you know, increased the wealth of black Americans by like 30% or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. So how, how does Biden look at canceling student debt wanting to mean test it when you cancel all of it yeah. you're literally increasing the wealth of, of the most a couple marginal- of generations yeah, <laughs> yeah it's people, like yeah. it's like you know and I, I i support you know like for example um what's it called reparations for housing policies because mm-hmm. if you look at housing policies it's like people have been held back for so many generations and so many people still don't have housing it's like that is like generational wealth mm-hmm. that is being taken and stripped from people yeah. when it, everyone should have that mm. What was, so what were your what what were you thinking on November what was the second or third I don't know twenty sixteen like when Trump won were you were you kind of I remember I, it was it was one of the things where well because it was it was this is at like one a.m. Mm-hmm. when we found out and my mom and my dad they were you know banging their pots and pans they were excited yeah they were mm-hmm. excited mm-hmm. and I was you know I, was, I think I was asleep at the time the game woke me up mm-hmm. and. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, like, that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't like Hillary a lot either. Sure. And, um, you know, I was like, let's, I was like, let's see. And then, like, immediately after, I forget what Trump did, mm-hmm. but it was something Like that, the Muslim ban? And I was, it was, it was before he even got in office. Oh, uh-huh. It was one of those things that he either said or something where I was like, that's a little, little, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, the president-elect <laughs> just said that. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's when it kind of got on the spiral of, oh, God, what What's happening? Because, uh, uh-huh. honestly, when I, you know, and this is kind of funny, when I was, you know, also looking back at it, I thought the Republican nominee was going to be Bush. 
Yeah. And everyone did. Yeah. Everyone did. That's right. And it was his to lose. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, Bernie versus Bush. I'll take that. That's a, that's a win every day. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, watching Trump win mm-hmm. every fucking time. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was it was almost remarkable to see how you know, like Chris Christie and all these really conservative figures instead of going behind someone like Jeb Bush or whoever the you know, party nominee was supposed to be mm-hmm. lining up behind Trump. I was yeah. like, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember watching the debates and everything too. And a 2020 or 2016 was such a crowded field. It's yeah. like, like a clown car. <laughs> yeah. It was like, Oh my gosh, like there's so many people. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was so interesting to see how all these different factions of conservative people on the right or even in the middle or even those like Reagan Democrats, whatever you want to call them, yeah. switch to Trump. Mm. And that's what I kind of thought was most interesting mm-hmm. is like, you know, like even sure if you disagree with all of Trump's policies, you have to admit it's interesting how, like my parents, mm-hmm. Democrats, yeah. independents their yeah. entire life, mm-hmm. literally never voted for a Republican, voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. What, what in a system, like I think people finally, I think it's the same reason why you have people who, you know, like me, were like so upset at the Democratic Party, yeah. voted for Trump, and you have to realize that it's mostly an establishment thing, ah. and that it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. If you're inherently against the establishment, mm-hmm. you'll support candidates who you ideologically don't agree with, yeah. just because of that, yeah, because right. they're an outsider, that's because right. they're they're someone who is going to fight for you. Even if it's not on the social issue, mm. they're going to fight for your like material interests. Well, that's the thinking. That's yeah, yeah. yeah and that's obviously that's not true because Trump's a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, right. <laughs> so right. it's kind of it's one of those things where it's like it's true, but yeah, yeah. Um, huh. And I don't know. It's just very, very interesting to think about like the, the effects of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how that you know influenced the 2016 election and you know obviously the 2020 election as well. Mm. How were you? Un- so in 2016, you were what in middle school or high school? I was in middle school. So in, tw- yeah. <laughs> in 2016, after, uh, let's say after the uh, general election, like how, how did you understand the world? Like, how did you make sense of things? Was it, is it just what you just said that like anti-establishment means, you know, there will be shifts that you could not, ne- you, that you, that people in the establishment wouldn't necessarily be able to predict? Uh, or was it something else or something more? That's kind of how I understood it as. And then, uh, you know, a few years, a few years later in Trump's presidency, obviously, as I, I was against him at that point mm-hmm. and radically against him, mm-hmm. um, I, had, I realized that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party inherently just are for corporations. Mm. And even if you're, you know, against the establishment, once you're in the system, mm-hmm. you're still going to be for corporations. Uh, you can see that through, like, Trump's tax cuts. Yep. Like, that was an establishment thing that mm-hmm. the Democrats have done and the Republicans have done, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you look at that, that's entirely against the working class Americans who are now struggling. Yeah. And even though they have, you know, billionaires who are paying an average tax rate, like 8%. Mm-hmm. Like, I paid more than taxes than Trump in whatever it was at 2020, whenever the New York times, yeah, the yeah, $750, yeah. Like, I paid more taxes that year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like I was a priest. <laughs> like I, I don't. That's the thing I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like I think anyone you can ask agrees. Everyone should pay their fair share of taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, even if you're like a random number, like fifteen percent, that's still double what yep. the billionaires are paying down. Mm-hmm. 
we need to hold them accountable to that. And you know, is that I, how you were? Is that how you made sense of the world at at fifty at in twenty sixteen? That after kind of Trump was like in there, and I was probably you know about a year later. That's where I was at. Yeah, uh, okay. I was I was just like, it's like how are we allowing this to happen? Mm. Why are we allowing billionaires to still get? billions are as wealthy and now in 2022 and 2020 mm-hmm. you have billionaires getting trillions of dollars richer throughout yeah. a pandemic yeah and you know i was working two jobs in high school when the pandemic hit i lost one of my jobs mm-hmm. started working full-time at starbucks while in high school whoa and um you know i i was an essential worker uh-huh. so i'd go work there from roughly 7 to 8 a.m till you know four or five uh-huh. and during the week how did you go to school as well? You were in high school doing In this. high school during the pandemic. How did, how did that so work? So because it was um, online uh-huh. and no longer synchronous, mm-hmm. I would do school after work. Uh, or a lot of the time I didn't do the work and yeah, had yeah, yeah. to had to email my teachers and say, hey, so sorry. Like, I gotta make you know, I'm up. working during a pandemic. I'm, you know, 17 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to get I by. Thought, are you allowed to work full time as a minor? In Texas, yeah. So I was living in Texas at that time. When did you move to Texas? I moved to Texas um, after my freshman year of high school. Okay, so you moved from California to Texas. Is this after your parents divorced? Mm-hmm. Okay, so which parent were you with? I was actually with my aunt and uncle in oh, Texas. Okay. Okay. My, my, both my parents stayed here okay. while they kind of settled out their divorce. Sure, 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 sure. And I was living with my aunt and uncle my sister. And what part of Texas? And this was in like northern Dallas-Fort Worth area, Texas. Okay, okay. And I, I finished my high school out there. Uh-huh. Um, I did debate in high school. I was top six in the state of Texas for uh-huh. debate. Why were you working? Why were you working two jobs in high school? So because my I was with my aunt, and uncle, and my sister, mm-hmm. they didn't pay for any of my expenses. Mm-hmm. So I had to cover basically everything. Oh, your aunt, and your uncle didn't pay for your expenses. Okay, you, yeah. So you had to like pay your own phone like, bill, oh. gas, car, insurance. Oh, the whole thing. Everything but rent, basically. Oh, okay. That's the kind of good thing is, like, at least I had, a, you know, a decent room, and they loved me, and they would help out. If I asked them, you know, if I, you know, needed money for food or something, they would help me, uh-huh. but they didn't immediately pay for everything. I got you. You know, uh-huh. and even then, like, all my all my siblings, like, my parents can afford to give us everything we wanted. Mm-hmm. All of my siblings worked jobs, mm-hmm. uh, mostly during high school. I was the only one who worked, too, because I was living mostly on my own. Mm, I see. I see. So what were your two jobs that you were working? I was working at a pizza place. Mm-hmm. So I was I started as a busboy there, worked my way up into the kitchen and became a shift manager there. Um, and then I was also working at Starbucks as a barista and a barista trainer. Mm, okay. But before the pandemic, were you were you able to balance school with two jobs? Yeah. So what I what I would usually do is so I would work at Starbucks on the weekends mm-hmm. and a, f- a few days during the week. Mm-hmm. So usually like Monday, go to school. It'd be like from 830 to 4 or whatever it was. And then I would go work uh, three to four hours at Starbucks, go home, do homework. Next morning, go to school, go there. I'd either work a shift at Starbucks or at the pizza place. Mm-hmm. It'd be a you know, three to four hour shift, close there, go home all that and then on starbucks in the weekends mm-hmm. i'd work from 7 a.m to about 12 to 1 it's about five hours mm-hmm. and then i would go from go to work at the pizza place immediately afterwards Whoa. from two to eight I've, this is not a judgment but like your parents and your aunt and uncle weren't concerned with you working this much i mean it was one of those things where i i needed the money mm-hmm. and Obviously, they were a little bit, you know, like concerned, mm. but it wasn't one of those things where it's like they had enough money to also 
support you. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay. Okay. So what did you? So did you? I, I I'm flummoxed <laughs> because I cannot imagine. But during this time, did you have? Did you have any sort of um, analysis, like socioeconomically, of like the situation you were in? I mean, Do you understand I, what I'm saying? I knew I was poor. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. You were fucking tired working two yeah. jobs in high school. And yeah. I, I mean, if I went to a really rich high school too, so the high school I went to, uh-huh. it's gonna freak you out. It was 96 percent white mm. and 250 thousand dollar income. Oh wow, that was the median. That was the average. Oh, average. Okay, wow. So, so did it, you, what was, what was, what was it like you working two jobs in high school, but going to this rich ass white high yeah. school? Like what, how, was, what was that I, experience I was, for you? I, it was, it was insane. Cause I was, you know, obviously one of the only working class people there. Sure. Everyone at that school had super nice cars, very wealthy. There was million dollar cars in that parking lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you look at my car, I, it's like a 2003 Honda. Sure, Accord. you just needed something with some wheels <laughs> yeah, to get you around. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 bumper was zip tied. Whoa. Yeah, it was it was it was it was a good car. I loved it. it yeah, was, it got you to and from yeah. work and school. Yeah, yeah and like yeah. the thing I, I would always tell people too, it's like I worked for that car. Yeah. What the fuck did you do for your, yeah, that's your right. expensive that's car? Right. <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like I mean I I hate to be like you know like I pulled myself up by my bootstraps whatever. But like it's 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 nice to feel like I worked my ass off mm-hmm. and got at least something compared to these rich people mm-hmm. who you know had their piggy banks and yeah you had know, everything, everything given to them. Yeah, it's sure, like sure. and I think right now, especially like if you look at where I'm at compared to most of the kids in my high school, mm-hmm. I'm definitely doing a lot better than them now because of it. What do you I, mean when you say that? Even though like a lot of them got into pretty good schools and are very wealthy and whatnot, because they didn't have that drive, mm-hmm. the fights. I don't think they're going to do anything in their lives. Mm, That's I the thing see. is like, if you are constantly under a threat of like, how am I going to survive? How am I going to get through the week? Whatever it is, you don't have that drive to, to do something I would consider like great. Mm. Like, you know, if you're given everything, mm. you never have to work hard. Mm. You never have to sacrifice what are you what are you what are you gonna do when shit hits the fan hmm. and you have to make a choice hmm. most of those rich kids i think i already know a couple of them or have already dropped out oh wow of college because of the pandemic oh wow because they just couldn't handle i think so oh, okay i see and luckily i went to a really good high school where i was you know relatively got grades mm-hmm. and everything and i could you know get into uc santa cruz and mm-hmm. be studying environmental studies mm-hmm. but it's, it's like still like you know like i was competing against people none of them had jobs so yeah. i would be you know they would come into my starbucks yeah. study for exams uh, while i was working huh. and it's like how do you not look at that and see that as a kid my age and not immediately recognize the educational inequalities sure. that we have in our system. Sure. Okay. And that was salient to you at the time. I, I How knew could it. it not be? I, I mean, because it's like, it's like, I would, you know, it's like, I sometimes I would even get better grades than them. Really? <laughs> Especially in history. Whoa. In history, economics, I would, I was usually, I was not like the smartest kid, obviously, but like my, one of my history teachers, Mr. Woody, he's a great friend even now. And he's the one who really got me into socialist ideology. Ah. Um, and I was one of his his best people in that class. We'd always talk afterwards, too, and about whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, I, to be fair, I didn't get good grades in his class. But I was the best writer mm. and the best. Um, I'd make the best arguments and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have time to do his weekly quizzes, though. No, no. I <laughs> so he, he, yeah, he knew that I, I never, I never did any of that. Didn't do good on those. But when it came to like writing an essay or understanding the implications of history and capitalism, all this kind of stuff, I would do way better on those exams. Sure. And those you were living it. Yeah, it's because yeah. like I would, I would talk about you know the history of the Roman Empire mm. and how if you look at like the comparisons of like Rome to now mm -hmm. it's like we're definitely in a shift where it's like this empire is very close to collapse mm. and I definitely can see the signs and it's like knowing history compared to being able to recite it ah. is very different ah yes yes interesting huh so it was there was there anything about that Mr. Woody uh brought to your attention particularly about socialist political thought or ideology that um that 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 so yeah, your I, life? I had him for world history i actually had him for i think two years during high school mm. i i took one of his other classes just because i thought it was interesting it was about world war ii mm -hmm. and in his world history class it was for ap he was just an amazing teacher mm. so he was one of those teachers where he would have a slideshow would barely use it and he would just actually just like tell us and we would ask if i you know if you ask him a random question about some stupid emperor from whatever goddamn state you know <laughs> he would know yeah and yeah. that's how i you know knew he was a good teacher is because i would talk to him about these history things and i would ask him questions and you know there's sometimes when we wouldn't get into like arguments or we'd get into like you know discussions thoughtful but, like, discussion yeah yeah and it's like i was definitely having someone who was there to kind of not only give me a different perspective because mm -hmm. I was in Texas. Mm -hmm. So even with the teachers there, a lot of them are conservative. Um, but he was the one who was like radical socialist, like oh, this wow. stuff. And when I say radical, it's kind of funny. We started a gay straight Alliance club mm -hmm. and he was our sponsor. Hmm. The principal wanted to have us sign up sheets and was going to out kids to their parents. No. And Mr. Woody and a lot of the other people like myself fought against that. We're like, what the fuck? You like, can't do that. They're like, no, like you're not, yeah. we're not doing that. Yeah. And that was like considered radical at our school, having a gay straight alliance club. <laughs> oh, I was right. like, oh, are you serious? Yeah. And hmm. now I was recently talking to him and it's like, yeah, like the, the bands on Critical Race Theory. Mm -hmm. He's like, he doesn't give a fuck at all because he's like, you know, so far left. And he's like, they'll fire me if they fire me. Like, I'm still going to teach kids about sure. all this cool stuff. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's like we need history and we need people who are actually teaching us history. Mm -hmm. And later, I actually had another really great professor. Um, I took like dual credit courses in Texas, mm -hmm. which is like when you're in high school but your prof like teacher and professor is at the university, oh. a local university, so you get dual credits. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and the other professor I had was Miss Romero. I had her for U.S. history. Mm -hmm. She was more of a libertarian, mm -hmm. um, but she was more really focused on um, like articulating your argument, mm -hmm. and she would give a lot of good feedback over like writing and really deep down in like the true history. So we did a lot of talking over like Christopher Columbus mm. and everything. And um, one of the books that she recommended I read or read, and I did a lot of, I don't do a whole lot of reading, reading, but I do audiobooks yeah. just because I have like ADHD and sure, sure, a sure. ton of other stuff. Um, but it was the history of the United States um, by Howard Zinn. Yeah. 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 Oh. A people's and history. People's history. Yeah. And that was one of the most mind opening yeah. things i've ever listened to and i was like okay hmm. like this is and 
I remember reading about like the labor movement and everything too in there. And it was really like, like if you haven't read it, you have to at least sit down and listen to some of it. Cause to me it was like, it was so mind changing why? in the way that I think about what, all these why, issues. Yo, how, how did your mind change about labor uh, upon reading about a radical labor history? Yeah. So I, I think for me, like, you like to think of history as being all one kind of cohesive history of it. Mm -hmm. Like it's always one cohesive narrative. Yeah. Okay. It's always, it's usually always a side of the successor. Yeah. And this book I would say is kind of the exact opposite. It's the history of the oppressed. Mm. And I'd never knew that like, for example, George Washington, there was rebellions against him from his own army. Mm hmm. And I was like, why the fuck was I never taught this in school? Mm. And that, that kind of question kept coming up. It's like, why was I never taught this? Why was I never taught this? Mm. And it was, you know, inspiring to me because it kind of shows that like, yeah, like history isn't one, one way. Mm. It is a collective of narratives that build a story. Ah. And that's what I kind of realized. Like, yeah, like if you only teach history from one perspective, it's going to be wrong mm. because that's not how history works. Ah. If you only teach history from the perspective of Americans, you're going to neglect the entire genocide of native Americans mm -hmm. and people who are indigenous mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And if you only teach it from the American perspective, you're going to miss the entire side of slavery and why the South seceded. Mm -hmm. And in that class, we, we forget what question brought this up, but some dumb kid, you know, asked like, Oh, like, wasn't it a, a state's rights issue? And Mr. Merritt was pissed. So Wait, he was asking about slavery being a state's rights issue? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And Mr. Merritt was pissed. So uh -huh. the next day, we, you know, we come to class. We go over each of the written statements mm -hmm. that the Confederate states had published when they succeeded from the Union. Mm -hmm. We went through and just did a quick word search. Mm -hmm. Slavery. Mm -hmm. In the text. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like 100 times yeah. in all of them. Sure. It's like, if you look at states' rights, it's only mentioned a few of those. Sure, sure, sure. So it's like, no, like, if you, if it's like... That narrative that it was a state rights issue and the fact that people still believe to this day. Sure. The majority of Americans still believe that the Civil War was a state rights issue. I don't know. I don't know about the majority of Americans. Many. Like, I think it was like 38%. Okay. That's not um, the majority, dear. 38%. But it's like the 16% like down below that I believe it was both. Uh, and it was like, oh, okay. what? Like, I don't know. It was, it was, I forget what sad it was. Mm -hmm. But it was like, how do we... How do you see that not as a problem? Mm. And I think we need more history teachers who are going to be really diving deep mm. into those issues, mm -hmm. especially when you have, you know, Republicans who are constantly now attacking mm. education mm. and and the right to to knowledge. Because ah. to me, it's like it, it is inherently like a right and something that people should know. And if we don't know about it, then, you know, again, history like repeats itself. Sure. It, it's going to continue, continually happen to oppress people. We don't know the, the true history and causes of what is happening now. Tune in to part two, where our dear Joe is working two jobs in high school when the pandemic hit, and then they started working at Starbucks full time. 
You can tune in to listen to part two right now over at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. If Patreon isn't your thing and you'd still like to support this work, you can go to what's left to do.com slash support and leave us a donation in the tip jar. Okay, see you over on Patreon.